talking with John DeGraff, who is a documentary filmmaker and author. His books, Affluenza and What's the Economy for Anyway, explore policy options that improve well-being and happiness. He is a frequent international well-being speaker at conferences and college campuses and is currently working on a book called The Politics of Beauty. He was an advisor to the government of Bhutan's gross national happiness campaign regarding the domain of time use. He lives in Seattle, Washington. Welcome, John. I'm so excited to talk to you about happiness. And of course, I always start off with the same question that I ask everybody. What makes you happy, John? What are you passionate about? Well, I'm passionate about making the world a better place, for one thing, and I'm certainly passionate about my friendships, many of which have lasted for half a century or more. I think uh, connection with people, and and the other thing that makes me happy is the natural world, you know, uh, seeing the beauty of the world. Yes. Well, I know you're an expert in that, and I know a little bit about your politics for beauty, and I know how... I'm pretty sure it connects to happiness. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think it's one of the the unspoken uh, domains uh, uh, that leads to happiness that we don't talk about very much. Uh, Bhutan has its domains of happiness, of gross national happiness, and they don't use beauty as one of those, but that may be because they're always immersed in beauty because Bhutan is both a beautiful country in terms of the, the the natural scenery, but also because there's literally art everywhere. I mean, every house that I saw mm-hmm. there, and I'm sure you too, uh, the parliament mm-hmm. building, everything are painted with, with beautiful artwork. And so people are kind of immersed in beauty, and they probably don't think about it, uh, its impact. But we know from a lot of studies that beauty does have a huge impact on people's sense of well-being or happiness. For one thing... Um, in the UK, uh, studies called mappiness, people have a little app that they wear and they get a buzz every so often and they're asked how happy they are on a scale of 1 to 10. And then that is also uh, checked out with GPS uh, with the ratings that people have for all places all over the UK of how, how beautiful they think these places are. And what they mm-hmm. find is that people who are in uh, places when they answer the call and uh, uh, that are considered beautiful or attractive, certainly not ugly, uh, are 
20% in general happier than people who are in places that are unattractive or that they might consider ugly. We did the same study, uh, kind of study with the Happiness Alliance in Seattle with our happiness survey. We asked people on a scale of one to five going from um, kind of ugly, somewhat ugly, neutral, uh, somewhat beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful to tell mm-hmm. us how they felt about the place that they live. And then we correlated those with the overall well-being scores that people got on the happiness survey. And we found the same thing, a difference of about 20% uh, higher with, in, in the cases of people who felt that they were in a beautiful location. There are other studies that I think confirm the same fact. Wow. Could you give us the name of that app again, and can we get that in the United States, that app? What is the name I of it? I don't know. It's called uh, Mappiness. M-A-P-P-I-N-E-S-S, Mappiness. Yeah, right. yeah, just Happiness with an M, and it just, it, it, that's what it does. The people have the app. It's one of the groups in the U.K. that works on happiness issues. It's been around for a long time, so they have literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of responses from people because every so often you just get this little ping on your your yeah. phone. Uh and yeah. whatever, wherever you are at that time, you answer and tell them on a scale of, of 1 to 10 how, how you're doing, you know, uh, how happy you feel. Uh, and uh, so then they can correlate that with where you're located and with the studies that have been done. There's a whole series of studies done in the U.K. comparing photographs. Again, hundreds of thousands of photographs of various mm-hmm. places, micro places where people rate them. According to their uh, to their beauty, and the correlation is very clear that if people are in a place that that is considered to be uh, attractive, either naturally or built environment, um, mm-hmm. they're generally happier than people who are not in such places. Wow, uh, that that's fantastic! I'm going to see if I can get that app, and you know now, would you basically say that beauty and happiness are like bedfellows? So to speak, um, is it which one comes first, beauty and then happiness, or they work together? Well, you know, I don't think there's the, there are many factors, as you well know, that go into happiness. And so, beauty is mm-hmm. one of those things that it's like the frosting on the cake. I think for a lot of people, we certainly need good social connection. Uh, we know that that mm-hmm. plays an important role in happiness. We need good health. We need um, mm-hmm. a sense of security, you know, kind of basic security. Those kind of things mm-hmm. we know are important for for happiness, and they are the sort of domains that Bhutan and uh, other uh, indices measure. Uh, but what we mm-hmm. also know is that beauty plays a role too, and that if uh, it, it can detract from or add to what your basic happiness level is, depending on those other factors. So it's one of the many factors. We think a very important factor, and at this point the most neglected factor in terms of what people are measuring. Right, right. And so to me, I remember we've been friends for a a long time, as you said earlier in in our conversation here, you're grateful for your friends, and I know that you did a film on a city that beautified the city. Didn't they start with the water? What was that about? Well, uh, yeah, Nevada City, California, uh, I did a film called mm-hmm. Redefining Prosperity. And uh, 
the beauty of the brought a town together that was very polarized, much as we are as a country, you know, between right, um, uh, right wing, left wing, et cetera, conservatives, liberals uh, in that town, uh, particularly what you might call rednecks and hippies. Uh, it's a rural mm-hmm. town in, in mm-hmm. California, and the rednecks and the hippies, so-called, were sort of always had each other's throats. And what brought them right. together... And it, it doesn't mean that they're completely together or that there aren't still differences and stuff, but it really unified the community in a huge way was the fight to save the beautiful river that runs through and by that community from uh, proposed power dams that would have, would have destroyed that river. And that brought people mm-hmm. together across the polarization in the community to preserve the beauty, and that also allowed them then to t- talk about other kinds of things, to get to know each other, to see each other as having these common interests, this common interest in beauty, and begin to find out what other common interests they might have. Yes. Very interesting. So it's called Redefining Prosperity, right? The yes. film? Yes. yes. And it's a documentary? Yes, it's an hour-long documentary. And where do we find that? It's available from Bullfrog, Bullfrog Films. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the company that actually distributes most of my films. They're a, uh, an environmental uh, media company in, in Pennsylvania. They're actually the largest mm-hmm. uh, environmental media distributor in the world. And uh, so you can go to Bull, just look up bullfrogfilms.com and look mm-hmm. up Redefining Prosperity, and you can find it, and it's available in DVD and, and other ways. So just recently I saw, well, I didn't actually see the film because I had COVID at the time, but you were here in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and you were promoting a film that you have just recently done on Stuart Udall, and again, the politics of beauty and beauty and happiness. And of course, I live in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is one of the most beautiful places in the world, in my opinion. It is. I so, agree. could you tell us a little bit, a little bit about how Stuart Udall actually brought about the national? Didn't you say the national parks? Am I wrong on that? How did that all work out? Well, well, Stuart was the Secretary of the Interior under President mm-hmm. Kennedy and Johnson in the 1960s. So, he was in charge of things like the National Park Service and so forth. And so, he brought more places into the national park system. Of course, it existed before him. But he brought many new national parks into the system, and he did many things to uh, improve the environment of the country, from the Clean Air and Clean Water Act to Endangered Species List to the Wilderness Act, uh, many, many things. But he was always inspired by the beauty of the landscape of the country from, from a, a small child uh, in Arizona. And uh, that was, was very central to him, and so he... He preached what he called the economics of beauty. I I call it the politics of beauty because he was not an economist. He was a political figure. But what he said Mm -hmm. was that uh, those economists who have made the gross national product, which is what we called it in those days, they made it the holy grail. Join Sandra M. for her live performance of the Celebrate Happiness Roadshow, a toast to love and happiness in life, an uninhibited musical adventure guaranteed to awaken your happiness vibe. Celebrate with upbeat rhythms, 
love songs, and fun stories, some told by you in the audience. Sandra's musical guest and accompanist, Todd Lowry, sings his hopeful and happy originals. To book Sandra M. and the Celebrate Happiness Roadshow, email Sandra at SandraMcKnight.com. Celebrate happiness with Sandra M. Is that they have neglected and they don't have any understanding of the economics of beauty, of how big a role beauty plays in in our lives. And so, uh, you know, was one of the first for sure, folks, again, in the, in the early 60s, to question GDP, gross domestic product, gross mm-hmm. national product, like Bhutan did. Mm-hmm. You know, Bhutan had an alternative, gross uh, national happiness. But Udall was talking about that in the 1960s, the same time he was also warning about climate change. Now, this is 60 years ago, so uh, he was very yeah. much ahead of his time. And uh, I think his sense of beauty fits with a, a Navajo Indian concept called hojo, which is uh, or also called the beauty way. May I walk in beauty. With beauty above me, may I walk. With beauty below me, may I walk. It's, it's a Navajo morning prayer. But hojo doesn't just mean the beauty of the landscape. It means the beauty of our connections with other people, the balance in our lives, so the psychological wellness that, that we experience, the amount of gratitude and, and generosity that exists. It's, it's a complex sense of beauty, and I think that was also Stu Udall's uh, understanding of beauty. Wow. Uh, just our previous uh, episode, we did interview a woman who is a Native American storyteller, and mm-hmm. she did not. She does a lot of talking about the medicine wheel, the four different colors, and so forth. And she's actually interacting with children, having them to understand a lot about nature. It's just sort of natural to the, I believe, to the Native Native American culture. So mm-hmm. how do we spell that? Is it H-O-J-O, Hojo? How do we spell no, that? H- H-O-Z is in zebra, H-O. So it looks like okay. Yeah, pronounced Hojo. And it's the beauty way is the translation. <laughs> yes, that's another way that uh, the Navajos mm-hmm. commonly call it. And so there are a number of prayers and things that are associated with the uh, the, with the beauty way, there is a wonderful mm-hmm. Navajo artist uh, whose name is Shanta Bigay, whose uh, works are often exhibited in Santa Fe. In fact, uh, I saw many of them there. He lives in Flagstaff, Arizona, but uh, Shanta Bigay's paintings really capture this whole sense of Hojo and the, the beauty away and the beauty of the Navajo landscape and all of those things. Uh, Shanto is just a remarkable guy, and he's in my Udall film. And I found out about him through my great friend uh, Jack uh, Leffler in Santa Fe, who um, yes. many, many folks know there, who I think is also a great exemplar of of, of a happy life and a, a life devoted to uh, to service to, to others. And he's the one who told me about Shanto. And Shanto and I have become good friends, and I have one of Shanto's paintings I'm looking at right on the wall. Um, but he's, he's a beautiful painter, and I suggest that people just Google Shanto Begay paintings, and they'll they'll see what I'm talking about. Now, the last name is B-E-G-A-Y? Yes. No. 
first name F-H-O-N-T-O. Great. I always like to spell these things out. When people are listening, they can take note on that. Okay. Now, you know, I'm hearing so many things about your your films, and I've asked you a lot of questions about that, and I'm assuming I want to get into your more personal feelings about happiness because obviously you're doing the beauty and all, and you're so involved in the happiness, and you spent time at the... Um, through the UN, as, as in Bhutan, as, as you said here, you were advisor advisor to the government of Bhutan's gross national happiness campaign in the domain of time use. When was that actually? What time? Uh, yeah, I was in uh, Bhutan in uh, um, the winter during the winter uh, January mostly, and into February of 2013. So about 11 years ago. Right. And is that when they were just starting to become a democracy? How fascinating no, they, their... they hadn't been one for long. Uh, Bhutan became a democracy officially in 2008. That's when they had their first election. And that is also when they began by, you know, that government began to take up the whole idea of gross national happiness as a policy. So this would have been mm-hmm. four years or so after, after that began but they were at that point when i was there they were looking to carry their message of gross national happiness to the united nations and to make a proposal to the u.n for uh to to have other countries think about this and so they brought a group of us about 20 of us with uh, different areas of expertise to bhutan to advise uh, on the various domains that Bhutan has of gross national happiness, and I was brought there to talk about time use uh, or time work time balance because that was an issue mm-hmm. I had been working on for some time. Mm-hmm. All right. You are so well-rounded and do so many wonderful things, but as I said, I want to get into, again, what are you passionate about yourself? What are you in love with in life? What gets you up every morning? I think the well, people that yeah, make my films, them. my films are a big part of it, but it, the films aren't the end in themselves. The end, end in itself is to, to make a better world and to, uh, to inspire people to do good things that will make themselves and other people happy. Uh, I'm afraid that we've become very cynical in this country, uh, we are a country in a way of anti-heroes, or our heroes happen to be very trashy heroes who are made basically about using violence and force to, to get what they want, yes. these kind of superheroes. And we've lost the idea of heroes being people who take care of the land and take care of each other and inspire each other. And so my pur- purpose of my films is to get us to think about those things, to think about that he- heroism is about what you do for the community to make the community in general happier. And if I can make the community in general happier, then that certainly makes me a lot personally happier. Yes, yes. And so do you think that most people are born happy? And can you learn to be happy? Uh, We're talking about happiness and beauty and so forth. But when it gets down to the individual, people say, well, you know, I've had a lot of tragedy in my life or this or that, and I don't know if I can be happy. 
Well, I, I'm of two minds about this. I mean, I'm not one to say that, that the conditions of life don't matter at all. I think that they do. I think when people are suffering from extreme poverty or stress or working so much and have no control over their lives, it's very hard to be happy. You can't just wish yourself to be happy. On the other hand, um, there are a lot of people who who have the conditions of life to be very happy and are not because psychologically they don't understand that it's about gratitude, it's about sharing, it's about altruism, it's about giving, it's about friends and connection. It's not about stuff and, and, and about me. And so, like I said, I'm, I'm really off two minds. I think once we reach a certain level and uh, beyond you know, extreme poverty and deprivation, then a lot of it really depends on us and whether we choose uh, those things. I don't think you're born either happy or unhappy. I, mean, I think even from the very beginning, the, a baby's happiness is going to be depend on if they get some love from their mother or father. You know, and that's that's like a natural thing to me. But uh, we can uh, certainly will ourselves to be happier, uh, and and uh, we we just shouldn't pretend that the circumstances don't matter at all because I think that lets us off the hook from having to change some of the things in our society, the big things that are oppressive to many people. We invite you and yours to an intimate 14-day happiness journey to Bhutan, the lost kingdom of happiness, coming in May of 2024. Experience the magnificent beauty, magic, and mystery of this ancient culture that calculates the gross national happiness of its people. Happiness, Bhutan style, is an adventure of a lifetime. Go to BhutanLostKingdomTours.com and click on Special Tour Packages to download your itinerary for Being in Love with Life, a happiness journey to Bhutan with Miss Sandra McKnight. And remember, celebrate happiness with Sandra M. Right, like how about homeless, homelessness? I mean, let's exactly. face it, this is a major issue in all of our cities. It is, it is. And, and all those things, I mean, addiction, um, those things, it's very hard mm-hmm. for people to... Um, be homeless and just sort of say, well, I'm going to be happy. I'm not saying no one can do it. I mean, there actually are homeless people who, who are, but, but I think that's, that's a much harder task. I think you need to have this sort of basic sense of security uh, and, um, and, and some of those needs to be met. And then it depends much more on you. Uh, on, on the choices that you make, mm-hmm. on whether, you know, um, and, and uh, the sense of, you know, what am I going to spend my time on? Am I going to spend my time on just trying to make a lot of money and working myself to death? That is not a recipe for happiness. Or am I going to spend my time on spe- getting out into nature, on uh, making a difference for people, sharing my gifts, uh, making friendships, um, experiencing the beauty of the world? Those are the things that are going to make you happier, certainly, uh, no matter what your other circumstances. Right. So you're basically saying it's an inside job. Happiness is an inside job. Just not completely. I don't want to... I don't want to... Not I, completely, I say, but once... Yeah. Right. It matters, though. Yeah. Certainly a lot of it is up to us uh, after a certain yeah. level, you know, uh, beyond 
real de- deprivation. I mean, I, I do believe in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, I think when, yes. we're, when we don't have food and we don't have shelter and we don't have some of those, then mm-hmm. those things are overwhelming, uh, overwhelm us, you know. It doesn't mean that people can't have a certain level of, of day-to-day happiness even with those things, but overall life satisfaction is very much harmed if you don't have if you're hungry all the time or if you, you don't have a home or if you're yes. under bombing and bombardment and all of those things, it's tough. So you have to have yes. those needs for, for the physical basics and a certain sense of security, what Maslow called the security needs. And then beyond there, mm-hmm. a lot of it is chosen because the needs that Maslow looks at after that are belonging, which is about friendship and connection. We make that, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, the next ones are mm-hmm. about esteem, how we feel about ourselves. We make that by what by what we do and how we feel about ourselves. And then our self-realization, uh, our self-actualization, all of those higher-level needs from Maslow are ones that we have a lot of choice about. And how we act and what we do will really uh, affect whether we're happy in those ways. So, again, I don't want to get into the whole I- idea that, that um, it's, all on us because I think that's not no. fair to people that are really exploited in the society. But past a certain point, most of it is on us. So let us just ask one last question. So sure. in, in Bhutan, the culture of Bhutan, the government of Bhutan, the way they, their spirituality, the way they live as a whole group of people supports their well-being, as we say, right? Their happiness, their joy, etc. They help each other with the basics, as I understand. I mean, I have been there myself. Why or how, and I know this is a big question, can we bring some of those values so that the culture actually supports people in the basics, as you just discussed, right? And also helping people to understand that they can choose to belong, that they can have gratitude and connection with other people, that this is important. Is there any well, way we I, can make a difference? Sure. Well, I, mean, I think government matters. You know, I think government programs uh, at the start, you know, things like like food stamps and, and, and the basics, uh, housing support for people so that they're not homeless, um, those things matter. A, a, sort of, a certain level of, of fairness and equality in the society um, medical care that you're not desperate about and, and that, you, that people can afford so that if they get really sick, they're not going to lose mm-hmm. lose everything. Those things are the kind of basic things that we can do through our government and should. Beyond that, it's about education and it's about learning that, um, you know, and that the studies show that if you are motivated by this uh, intrinsic, uh, extrinsic goals, that is for money, wealth, fame, and all of those things, mm-hmm, kind of, mm-hmm. you're much less likely to be happy, not impossible, but you're much mm-hmm. less likely to be happy than if you're motivated by intrinsic goals like service and altruism and, um, you know, using your gifts and skills, um, you know, making something of yourself in those ways. And that's a lesson that really needs to be t- taught to kids, I think, from the first grade on, because they're getting so many counter messages. The messages that we get in our society come from advertising, and they are constant messages that says to be happy, buy stuff, 
have get more, have more, you know, this is what's going to make you happy. That is, that message has to be countered in some way right from the beginning with kids, whether it's in the first grade or kindergarten or whatever. But we also, we really have to teach them that actually that's not what happiness is about. Happiness is about something very different. So you're suggesting that perhaps in our schools we should have what? Some training, well, some basic courses for first. Yeah, well, I know the Dalai Lama. Yeah, I think we should have some kind of um, well-being conversation, mm-hmm. like, uh, mm-hmm. basic psychology, uh, starting early on. You know, I mean, we used to do really? that. Uh, I, I think things are changing because it's become so focused in the schools on getting the good job to make the money and all that sort of stuff. It's a bit different even from when I was growing up, when I think you were taught, uh, you know, don't hit people, share, uh, <laughs> you know, your grandparents. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's this wonderful book mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Robert Fulton wrote called Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Best wow, everything I need. Say that again, I everything I need. To, to know mm-hmm. I learned in kindergarten. And it's a it's a book. He was a minister, and this book was written 30, 40 years ago, but it was a popular bestseller, and it was right on. It said, you know, and I learned in kindergarten to make friends, to, uh, to take care mm-hmm. of animals and pets, and to, to treat people with respect, and not to hit people, and to share my graham crackers and milk and or whatever I had. Mm-hmm. And those were the mm-hmm. most important lessons I w- would ever learn in my life, and I think that's still true. Well, John, this has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. I am so grateful that you've been willing to be on our Celebrate Happiness Roadshow podcast. Are there any last comments? No, I think it's wonderful what you're doing. I mean, I think it's great what you're doing, starting with the the trips you took with people to Bhutan, but your whole effort to to uh, look at all the various aspects, too. I mean, I think the important thing is not to decide that there's just one single thing that makes us happy or that we have to do, but to have a broad approach and explore the many things that both uh, can lead to making us happier and the things that we live with that make us unhappy. Yes, and change the unhappy things if we have, if we're capable of doing so. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Well, thank you again, John. Okay, the pleasure was all mine. I appreciate it. Monthly Key to Happiness number 19. Give back. If you find that giving daily compliments provides a needed boost to your mood, considering making a monthly routine of giving back on a larger scale. Maybe that's helping out at a food bank on the third weekend of every month or offering to watch your friend's kids one night per month. Newsflash, please sign up for your personal copy of Our Keys to Happiness at sandramcknight.com. And thank you for tuning in to the Celebrate Happiness Roadshow podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, please help spread the word by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. And before we go, I'd like to thank today's guest, John DeGraff, for sharing his happiness story. 
And to share your happiness story on the Celebrate Happiness Roadshow podcast, send an email to Sandra M. at VoicePowerStudios.com. Turn your smile on, you can't go wrong.